Good morning. It's good to be back with you. Thanks so much for praying for me and Elijah and Hannah as we were away last weekend. Thanks to Pastor Caleb, did a great job uh, bringing the message about Andrew. Really appreciated that message very much. Thanks for everyone who took care of things while we were away. It's good to be back. Happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you. Uh, we here at Grace Fellowship uh, really are tremendously grateful for the men and the women uh, not only serving now, but on Memorial Day, we think about those who have sacrificed so much throughout our history so that you and I can have uh, the freedom to gather together, to worship, uh, to praise God, to uh, share our faith and, and live out our faith. You know, the First Amendment to the Constitution states this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Any honest historian can tell you that that was not written as a call to become a godless nation. I know that's what some people would have us believe, but it's not true. Uh, that, sec that First Amendment was not uh, there so that we could somehow figure out how to become a godless nation. Rather, it was intended to be a clear statement that, that we have the legal freedom to seek God and to live out our faith. And certainly those who fought in the Revolutionary War, specifically those who fought and died uh, for that freedom, we have, uh, they are the ones who ultimately helped secure that, that legal right, that freedom that we are enjoying at this very moment. So, before we head out to whatever it is you have planned, whether it's a parade or, or a picnic with your family this weekend, I think, I think we should pause here together as a church family, and let's, let's consider what we actually do with the right to seek God. It's nice that we have the right, it's nice that we have the freedom, we're thankful for that, to seek God and live out our faith, but what do we actually do with it? What do we actually do with it? As we jump back into our major year-long study through the Minor Prophets, ironically, what we are about to read this morning together in Amos chapter 5 is a funeral sermon. I want you to imagine that you go, let's say tomorrow you're going to go to a Memorial Day ceremony. And the speaker at that ceremony starts out by memorializing the dead. But then imagine that the, the speaker says this, the dead soldiers that we are here to remember are not from wars past, but for each of you here in the audience from a war that is coming, this is your funeral. Ooh, that would be jarring, right? That would get your attention. And that is how Amos started his sermon in Amos chapter 5, he essentially says to the audience, Good morning. We are gathered here today to mourn a tragic death. Yours. This is your funeral. I've noticed something about Amos. He seems to have a way of getting your attention at the beginning of these sermons. Would you join me in Amos chapter 5? What I'd like to do, we're going to get about halfway through the chapter today. We're going to talk about 17 of the verses, and then we'll, 
we'll finish up with the rest of the chapter uh, later on. But I, I just want to read it in one block rather than go verse by verse. Uh, I think it'll have greater impact that way. So let's, if you would, follow along. You can either listen, follow along in your Bible that you have, whatever's easier for you. All the verses uh, that I'm using today are in the digital notes. If you go to gracefellowship.online, you hit the notes button there. You can actually follow along with all the verses that we're talking about today. Here we go. Amos chapter 5. Listen, you people of Israel. Listen to this funeral song I am singing. The virgin Israel has fallen, never to rise again. She lies abandoned on the ground with no one to help her up. The sovereign Lord says when a city sends a thousand men to battle, only a hundred will return. When a town sends a hundred, only ten will come back. Those are not high percentages. Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me. Seek me. You might have the phrase, seek me and live. Don't worship at the pagan altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Beersheba, for the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile, and the people of Bethel will will be reduced to nothing. Come back to the Lord. Seek me and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. Your, Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. It is the Lord who creates, created the stars, the Pleiades and Orion. He, he turns darkness into morning and day into night. He, he draws up the water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. With binding speed and power, he destroys the strong, crushing their defenses, how you hate honest judges, how you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you'll never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you'll never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depths of your rebellions. You, you oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet, the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God, uh, the Lord God of heaven's armies says. There will be crying in all the public squares and mourning in every street. Call for the farmers to weep with you and summon professional mourners to wail. There will be wailing in every vineyard, for I will destroy them all, says the Lord. Wow. There's a lot going on in this funeral sermon, especially if you think about the fact that the people he's addressing won't die for another 30, 40 years uh, before the Assyrians come. 
and attack. And understanding that, it's, it's, you can almost imagine the reaction to the audience. They're sitting there thinking to themselves, this Amos guy's a loon. What's he talking about? Israel is, has this mighty army. We have all of this wealth. There's nobody threatening us. What's he even talking about? This doom and gloom message makes no sense. How do we know that was their reaction? Well, as you were reading that with me, you see there's a couple times where God says, come back to me. Do what's right. Stop doing what's evil. And perhaps God will relent. But that's not what happened. The Assyrians, we know historically, 30, 40 years from the time that he gave this uh, sermon, they came. They attacked. They did exactly what God said would happen. He gave them this warning in this funeral sermon, not just through Amos, but through other minor prophets as well. Seek me and live. And they ignored the warning. Seek me and live. What does it mean to seek God? I mean, is, is, God, is God playing hide-and-seek? Is he really, really good at that game? It's really, really hard to find God? Is, is that what it means to seek God? Now, the, the Hebrew word for seek means to consult. In the, in the context here, means to consult. It means to inquire in prayer and in worship. So when, when you and I, when we go through life and we're looking for peace... When you and I go through life and we are looking for, we are seeking wisdom, when you and I are looking for or seeking comfort, where do we go? Where do we go to find what we need? Who, who do we go to? What do we go to to find comfort and healing and peace, wisdom? God is saying here and, and throughout Scripture, God says, come to me. Seek me, and, 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 and I will provide what you're looking for. I will provide what you need. Just seek me, God says. What does it mean to live? Well, the most, the most obvious meaning of to live is, is in the physical sense, and, and I think the immediate meaning in the context where, where Amos is talking about in this funeral sermon is, is that of physical life. He was warning them of this foreign enemy that was going to come and, and kill, capture most of them. Did you, did you notice the ratios? A thousand, only a hundred. If a hundred go out, only ten. Only a small remnant would live. So there is this physical meaning to that word, obviously, but living can have a greater, deeper meaning than just physical life. Have, have you ever heard someone say, now this is living? Have you ever heard someone say that this is living? I wonder if people in prison say that. I mean, they get to prison, they look around, they experience prison life and say to themselves, man, this is living. Probably not. You probably don't hear that phrase in prison. Just because we are physically alive doesn't mean that we are necessarily experiencing quality of life in a way that is free from fear, in a way that is free from sadness or anxiety or addiction. These are the things that, that make us feel trapped. 
They make us feel lonely. These are the things that destroy our quality of life. I wonder how many of us would say that quality of, a, of life is important to us. Let's just do an informal poll, not scientific, just informal poll. Uh, by show of hands, raise your hand if quality of life is important to you in some measure. Okay, it's like three people. I don't want to raise. Fine. But quality of life is, I believe, important to all of us. Isn't that interesting that most of us want more than just physical life? Most of us want a high quality of life, but maybe you're not experiencing that. Maybe you're not experiencing a high quality of life. Maybe you are a miserable person. I would be willing to bet, if that's you, if you are a miserable person, I would be willing to bet that that is not, or was not, your life goal. I don't believe people get up one day and say, you know what, my goal in life is to be miserable. That would be living. I just want my life to be filled with anger. I want my life to be filled with hate. I want my life to be filled with fear. You know what would be great? I wish my life was just absolutely lonely. I wish my life was filled with immeasurable sadness. Now that would be living. I don't think we set out with that as our goal. So where do we go to find quality of life? Where, Where do we go seeking that? God is saying to us, if you want true quality of life, God says, seek me. I can provide that. Seek me and really live. Jesus talked about having a high quality of life by seeking him for eternal life and abundant life. We'll talk about both of those. Jesus talked a lot about eternal life. In John chapter 3, we're done in Amos for today. We read that chunk. Now we're going to add to what we've learned. Let's go to the New Testament to John chapter 3. We find out in the first few verses of John 3 that there was this man named Nicodemus, and he was a Pharisee. And he went to Jesus at night. And if you know who the Pharisees were, uh, most of them hated Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus. They are the ones responsible for uh, figuring out a way to have him arrested and crucified. But one of these guys named Nicodemus, he was spiritually curious. He, he was spiritually sensitive, and he wanted to know about eternal life. He wanted to know more about Jesus. And so he he made arrangements to talk with Jesus at night so he wouldn't uh, get the wrath of his uh, colleagues. And in John chapter 3, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is recorded. Verse uh, 2, he says, "We, We know God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. But then Jesus says this curious phrase in verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What was he talking about? Well, in the context there, he's talking about eternal life. 
He's talking about life after this one that goes on, and you can't experience it. You can't have eternal life, Jesus said, unless you are, quote, born again. And that gets this amazing dialogue back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus about, uh, Nicodemus was a little confused. I'm like, I can't go back to my mother's womb. What are you talking about? And Jesus, obviously, they were not talking about physical birth here. We're talking about spiritual birth. You're dead in your sin. Spiritually, you are dead, but you can be born again spiritually. Well, how does that happen? Well, let's just fast forward down through the conversation. It's a great conversation, by the way. You should read it on your own this week. Verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, in who? In Jesus who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, will not perish but have what? Eternal life. Jesus was talking about eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We experience, we can experience eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ as our forgiver of sin, as our savior from hell, as the Lord of our lives. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus got sick. He was dying, and Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they sent word to Jesus that he was dying. Please come. We, we know that you can heal our brother. Would you please come? And Jesus didn't. He waited. Lazarus died. Jesus shows up after he's already dead, and Mary and Martha, are, are, they're upset because they know that Jesus could have healed him, and, and uh, so they, they let their, their, uh, their anger, their... Uh, they're hurt, known to Jesus. And there's this conversation that happens between Jesus and one of the sisters named, named Martha. As uh, Martha says, if you would have just come, if you would have just, our brother would still be alive. And Jesus said this to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha responded back to him, I, I know, I, I know he'll rise Again, in the resurrection at the last day, what's she talking about? She's talking about eternal life. Martha believed in eternal life. She believed in the Old Testament promise to those who seek God by faith. And then Jesus responded to her belief in this eternal life by saying this. He, he said, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will, here's the word, live. Even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus clarified for Martha, for us, that eternal life is found in seeking Jesus, in trusting in Jesus. You know, he told his disciples the same thing in John chapter 14. So the night before He's arrested and, and uh, the crucifixion, all of that uh, terrible scene unfolds. He's with his disciples, this last supper that they're having together, and he's sharing with them some things that are unsettling. But then he says this in John 14, verse 1. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Where is that? That's heaven. He's talking about heaven. If this were not so, I would have told you that I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Where? In heaven. 
when everything is ready, I will come and get you. Jesus is going to return so that you will always be with me where I am. Where? In heaven. You know the way to where I am going. Going where? To heaven. And Thomas, one of the disciples, says, no, no, we don't. We don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus makes this uh, just absolutely tremendous statement. He says, I'm the way. I'm the way to heaven. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father, he said. Where's the Father? Father's in heaven. No one gets to heaven except through me, Jesus says. Seek me and live. Trust Jesus and experience eternal life. Jesus says it over and over again. Seek me and live. Now the gospel is obviously important to us as it relates to our eternal soul. Where our soul will spend eternity. But I want you and I to think about the importance of this assurance of eternal life. How does that assurance impact your life, my life, right now? See, if you and I are absolutely confident that Jesus is going to keep his promise to give us this eternal life, if we just trust in him for forgiveness of sin, trust in him to make us right with the Father, to give us this gift of grace of eternal life, if we if we're absolutely confident that Jesus is going to keep that promise, then that confident hope impacts the quality of our lives every day. Let me give you an example of how that might be. In 1 Thessalonians, if you want to check this out with me, this is really cool. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 13. Now here's the context. Paul is, is writing a letter to the believers in Thessalonica, and a lot of them have, in the church, a lot of them had, had died. They had been persecuted and, and died, and uh, they had questions. What, what happens uh, to, to the body? What happens to the soul when we die? They have questions like this. And, and so Paul is, is responding to their questions in verse 13. Now, dear brothers and sisters... We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. This is a real thing. They, they, they have sorrow in, in their hearts. And they're trying to sort all of that out and have an understanding of, uh, of this assurance of eternal life. And what does all of that mean? And he says this, I, I want you to know for sure what's going to happen to believers who die. So that, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. See, this is... This is where eternal life impacts our everyday lives now. It wasn't just their eternal souls that they were worried about. They, they were concerned about the people that they'd lost, people who had been killed, people who had died, that they loved and cared about, and they were trying to sort all of that out. And here's what he says. He goes back to the gospel, and he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, not if, but when, when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So just imagine what that looks like. Jesus returns, the believers who have died come with Jesus, okay? 
verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. So where is this information coming from? It's coming from Jesus, given to Paul. He's giving them the information, now we have it. This isn't something Paul just made up because he was bored one day. He got this from Jesus. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Wait a minute, I thought they were coming with Jesus. Well, yeah, the soul, the eternal soul is coming with Jesus, but their body is going to come out of the grave. Well, that's curious, isn't it? Let's just pause on that for a moment. I'll come back to it, and I just want to read to you uh, something from 1 Corinthians that gives us a little better understanding of, of this scene, of, of, of what this means. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 After, the, after that, the end will come. Um, let's see, Christ's reign. I got the wrong verse here. Hold on, I'll get it for you. Ah, here we go. Some may, this is verse 35. Some may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? And he says, what a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, does it grow into a plant unless it dies first? And he goes on to give a couple of different illustrations. There will be bodies in heaven. There will be bodies uh, there on, on the earth. The glory of heavenly bodies is different from the glory of heavenly bodies. It goes through all these things. Verse 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. They'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried in, as natural human bodies. They will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Uh, fast forward down to verse 51. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Now, here he's referencing what we were just reading in 1 Thessalonians. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever with immortal bodies, as he points out. And we who are living will also be transformed into what? The immortal bodies. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. What does this mean for us now? That's an awesome, confident uh, assurance of hope that we have in the future of this coming. But what's it mean for us now? Here's what it means. He says uh, later on, this is when the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, but the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means for us as we experience death in our lives, as we experience the sorrow of loss in our lives. Yeah, it hurts, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. 
go right back to where we were. We're telling you this directly from the Lord. This is what's going to happen. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and they get their transformed bodies. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Corinthians 15, we get our transformed bodies, and we'll be with the Lord forever in heaven. And verse 18, I read all of that so that you could hear verse 18 in its proper full measure context verse 18 says so encourage each other with these words this is the hope that we have because of the eternal life that jesus guarantees for us when we have faith in him yes when we have the sorrow of loss in our lives it it hurts it it, it stings badly but we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope because of Jesus, because of eternal life. Seek me, Jesus says, and live. The hope of eternal life found in Jesus, it really does provide for us this high quality of life right now. It frees us from the fear of death. It provides for us in those moments that we experience, it provides for us comfort. It provides for us peace. It provides for us a healing in our soul. It provides for us hope. Those are all high quality of life matters for us. It's what Jesus called abundant life. So we have eternal life, which provides for us abundant life. Jesus described it that way in John 10, 10. He says, the thief, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's that mean? It sounds very spiritual. What is abundant life? uh, An abundant life is a life that is satisfied. It's a life that's content. It's a life that is filled with joy and, and meaning. It's a life that is confident because of our relationship with Jesus. Abundant life is, is not dependent on how much money you have. It's not dependent on uh, where you live or, or how many likes and follows you have on social media. It's not even dependent on how physically healthy you are. Abundant life is fully dependent upon our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, he, he says, he challenges us not to worry, not to, to go through life with these anxious hearts, these anxious minds. And in, in verse 25, he said, this is why I'm telling you, don't worry about everyday life. Well, you have enough food to drink, enough, or enough food to eat, enough water to drink, enough clothes to wear. Life's more than that. And he gives a couple examples. He says, look at the birds. God takes care of the birds. They, they don't have jobs. And God takes care of them. And you mean more to God than the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. And, and, and God's the one that cares for them. And you're more important than the lilies in the fields. And so he says in verse 31, so don't worry about these things with these anxious thoughts. Whoa, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? He says, these are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Now, here's the key. He says, seek the kingdom of God. Where do you go for abundant life? Where are you, where are you looking for abundant life at? 
Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Seek me and live. Really live. Especially on days when quality of life cannot, should not be measured by the amount of pleasure that we are experiencing. I think sometimes we get into that tendency where we we try to measure quality of life uh, in terms of pleasure, in terms of uh, how pleasant our lives are. I have a high quality of life as long as I've got enough money in the bank, as long as all my relationships are uh, strong, as long as my health is good, then my quality of life is good. But what about on the days when it's not just, you know, cloudy? What about the days when it feels like there's a storm in your life that just won't let up? It feels like you might drown in the flood of sorrow. Are you not able to have quality of life? Where do you go for help? Where where do you go for comfort? Where do you go to find peace and healing and confidence? The sermon Amos gave was, was written in the style of what's called a lament, which is an expression of sorrow. In the ancient world, the, the way people would express sorrow is oftentimes they would tear their clothes, they would, they would shave their hair, they would put on sackcloth, and they would sit in ashes, and they would weep like ugly cry. And, and, and they would oftentimes invite other people to come and, and, and weep with them. It was the way, it was culturally the way that uh, sorrow was expressed in this form of lament. And, and Job would certainly be an example of someone who lamented in the ancient world. In, in Job chapter 1, we are given this amazing description of lament in Job's life. He says in Job chapter 1, or it's written uh, in verse 20, I'll just read what happened. Okay, He says, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, shaved his head, fell to the ground... Now, here's where it gets interesting, to worship, to worship. And he said this, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And if you don't know Job's story in the context of how he says this and expresses this this sorrow in his life, not only did Job lose Uh, all of his financial stability in one day, he lost all 10 of his adult children in one tragic accident on one tragic day. All of it gone. Every one of them dead. I mean, that's just unimaginable sorrow and loss. And his expression of sorrow that we see here, you know, the shaving of of the hair and, and all of that, that's all culturally Normal, but notice who it was that Job turned to in his sorrow. It was God in worship. And that's what it looks like to seek God and live. And I want to contrast that with what we see in the next chapter. You know, Job was not a single father, he, he was married. And his wife experienced 
all the same loss that he did. She lost all her kids. She lost her financial stability just like he did. She experienced all of it just like he did. But her expression of sorrow was different. Her lament was different. Listen to what she says. She says to Job in chapter 2, verse 9, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she said. Now, we understand and, you know, the, 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 the intense uh, sorrow that she was experiencing and, and, and why she was feeling so emotional. But where was she seeking comfort? Where was she seeking to find hope and peace? Apparently not in God. Job replied back to her, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And so in this, Job said nothing wrong. And so take that and, and bring it into our lives and just ask the simple question, where do you and I go? In our sorrow, where do we go to find hope? Where do we go to find comfort? Where do we go to find healing? Where are, where are we seeking quality of life? Some people turn to drugs and alcohol. They, they, they seek to, to numb the pain or dull the pain in those, uh, in, in those substances. But we know that doesn't work. Maybe it's a temporary fix, but it's, it's not lasting. And, it's, and obviously, it, we've, we've seen people that their lives are made worse. Their, their, their lives get destroyed by those things. Self-isolation, sometimes people uh, seek comfort, peace, and, and uh, some kind of healing, some kind of form of healing in, in isolation. They draw away from everyone, and they look for hope and comfort and healing in themselves. They, they say, I'm just going to keep a lid on my emotions. I won't express it. I'll just keep it down here under wraps. I won't let it out. I don't want people to think that I'm weak. Well, that doesn't work either. That's just like walking around as a time bomb. It will eventually come out, and probably not in the ways that we want. Some people turn to anger. That's what Job's wife did. She turned to anger. Anger is a strange place to find hope and, and comfort and healing, but here's what happens. Anger, anger offers to kill the pain, right? That's, that's why people turn to it. That's why they turn to this, 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 uh, this uh, emotional response of anger because it, it promises to kill the pain. But what it doesn't tell you, anger doesn't tell you that it also intends to destroy you in the process, which is what anger does. And God is saying, listen, don't go looking for comfort. Don't go looking for healing or courage or hope anywhere else. Seek me and live. Really live and, and, and have this abundant life full of hope and, and comfort and healing and strength. Even on your darkest days, God's saying, I can provide that. Seek me. Trust me. You know, the Israelites that Amos preached this funeral sermon to, I, I guarantee they were not expecting the funeral sermon to be about them. 
I think that's the thing about funerals in and of themselves. Boy, they're a powerful reminder. Every time I do a funeral, it, it's, a, it's a powerful reminder that this life comes to an end. And so I think it gives weight to the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. We've got the opportunity right here, right now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Stop putting it off. Seek God and live. I started the sermon with a simple question related to Memorial Day. What are we actually doing? We say uh, that we are grateful for our rights. We are grateful for our freedom. But what are we actually doing with our constitutionally protected right to seek God and live out our faith. Actually, I, I just want to say this. Forget, forget the right, because rights can be taken. Every day there are people waking up in the morning and their entire goal in life is to find a way to remove that right from us. You understand that? Every day there are people waking up with that goal in life. I don't know if they'll be successful or not, but if we take that out of it, this right to seek God and live out our faith. Let's talk about our responsibility. Because right or no right, we still have a responsibility as followers of Jesus. There, you think about Christians in other parts of the world where they don't have religious freedom. Do they not have a responsibility? If they're a, a, a Christian, if they're a follower of Jesus, does God say, oh, no, you don't have a responsibility to seek me and live out your faith because you live in a country that doesn't have rights? No, that's not how it works. And I think sometimes we get apathetic as Americans, and we just take for granted the fact that we do have, as of now, these religious rights and freedoms. Take it out of the way. We still have a responsibility to seek God and live out our faith. That, that responsibility doesn't come from or can't be taken away from the government. That call on our lives comes from God himself. himself. So as, as we celebrate and enjoy our Memorial Day weekend, yeah, we, we absolutely need to be grateful for those who fought and died for the freedom to seek God and live out our faith. And I think the best way to do that, it, it's... I, this is me personally. I don't think it's by seeing how many hot dogs we can hork down tomorrow. I, I don't think that's the best way to honor that sacrifice. I think the best way to be grateful for our freedom is to use it. To actually exercise our freedom to seek God and live out our faith. It's even more important when it comes to our gratitude towards Jesus, as Christians, we should be even more grateful for the one who sacrificed his life on the cross so that, so that we could seek God and live, so that we could have freedom from sin, so that we could be given both the gifts of eternal life and abundant life through faith in Jesus who conquered sin, who conquered death for us. I think the best way to show that gratitude is to seek God and live out our faith every day. It's our responsibility as Jesus followers. 
So here's the challenge. I want to challenge you just to give some deep thought to that. Maybe some family conversation time to a couple questions. Just two questions. First one is this. Where, where am I? Where are you? Where, where, where are we looking to experience a life that can look around and say, now this is living. Where are you and I looking to find quality of life? And secondly, can I honestly say, can you honestly say that, that we are seeking God? Can we honestly say that we are, in fact, living out our faith? I didn't ask you if, uh, if, if, if you are a regular church attender. I'm asking us to consider whether or not we are living out our faith. Now, we're gathered together, and we're glad to do so, so that we can encourage one another and, and spur each other on. For what? For living out our faith, for seeking God. That's why, that's why we're gathered here today, to give God our best worship and to encourage each other to keep seeking God, to keep living out our faith. I'm so glad you're here for that encouragement. Lord, thanks so much for your love, your kindness, your, your grace in our lives. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be together. I thank you for the country that we were born in. Lord, I, I had no control over that. Neither did anybody else in the room. We were born where we were born because of your sovereign grace. We could have just as easily been born in some other country that experiences just devastating poverty, that experiences re re religious persecution. We, we could have been born anywhere, but by your grace, we were born here. And we don't take that lightly. We don't take that for granted. We give you glory and, and, and praise for that. And so I'm asking, Lord, that, that we would take a little bit of time to consider, uh, are we taking that for granted? Are we truly grateful for the freedom, and, and if we truly are, Lord, then I believe, I believe we'll live it out. I, I believe that, that we won't treat your grace as if it is cheap, but that we will do what you've called us to do, that we will seek your kingdom, seek you, and live righteously as a way, as an expression of our gratitude. And if there's someone in the room, someone listening to our live stream today that has yet to trust Jesus, as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be that moment. As Isaiah put it, as Paul put it, right now, this is the moment of salvation. This is the opportunity right here, right now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, Lord, I pray that, that those that might need to hear that gospel truth would respond to you in faith today, right now, in these quiet moments. And we'll pray this in the name of our Savior. And God's people said what? Amen. God bless you.